Well, good morning. You can go ahead and have a seat this morning. Today we are invited by God through the scriptures to perceive the new thing that he is doing. Isaiah 43, 19 says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. And God follows with an ever important question. Do you not perceive it? Do you not perceive it? Do you not see it? Can't you discern it? Won't you enter into it, this new thing that I'm doing now? And in the phrase, there is something else being said here. God is asking in that question, do you not perceive it, that Isaiah asks on his behalf to the people. He is asking one very important question. Don't you know who I am? At the beginning of Isaiah 43, at the beginning of that passage, God makes clear who he is. I am your God, he says. That's who I am. I am your God, he says to his people. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I'm doing? Can't you see it? Can't you discern it? Won't you enter into it? Do you not perceive it? New things are hard for humans to perceive and see and discern and enter into. For those of you in the room who just love change, I'm going to just tell you that for human beings, most of us, not you who love change, the rest of us sometimes find it hard to enter into new things. We like the way things are. We're comfortable with the status quo. In fact, not only are we set in our ways, we seek to protect our ways. We like it. It's familiar. And in those rare times when we at least perceive that a new thing is needed, something else happens to us. We sometimes become sentimental. Now, for those of you who are like, oh, good, Brian's going to preach a nice, easy sermon, sentiment. This is the S word in our sermon today, okay? (laughs) And those rare times when we receive that a new thing is needed, we become sentimental, demanding that things stay the way they were in the past. We long for the good old days Building a fantasy of how great things used to be and how great they would be again if God would only take us back. Now, I have said from this pulpit many times that God does not despise our humanness. Sentimentality is a human trait. Let me let you in on a secret. I have it too. I have it too. Oh, if only God, things would be the way they used to be. If only I could be 25 again. I only had three kids then. And although I love all four of my kids, life seemed easier. Remember the good old days? Until then I say, oh, what would our life be without Natalie? Devastating is what it would be. 
If only we could return to the way things used to be. God, in his mercy and compassion and love, continually gives us another chance to perceive, to know, to see, to discern, to enter in to the new thing that he has for us. This is, if you read nothing else today in our four scriptures, what you should read is compassion by Almighty God. There really isn't a scolding here. There is an invitation. Come to my new thing. I know you're scared. I know you want sentiment again but come to my new thing. Let me just briefly tell you in each of the passages. In Isaiah 43, this is a moment of exile for the children of God. They are living in Babylon, and Babylon is at its worst moment. They are enslaved. They are in danger. To say they're second-class citizens is an understatement. They don't have citizen status. They're on the run. They're scared. They're They're wondering where their God is. And they're crying out to God. Remember how you drowned the Egyptians in the water. Could you drown the Babylonians in the water, God? That's what they're crying out. And this is what prompts God to say, hang on a second. I'm doing a new thing. I'm not going to drown them in the water. I am going to cause the water to bubble up. From the desert, he says. We'll talk about this in a minute. Psalm 126, a psalm of ascents, is most likely written about this time in Babylonian captivity. It's a song commemorating God's new thing. Restore our fortunes, O God. But that's not the first prayer in that psalm. It says, you have done great things for us already, and we're glad. It's a song. That the children of Israel still sing to this day, by the way. Our Jewish friends, our Jewish friends still sing it. The gospel passage. Hard parable. Hard parable. The gospel passage is the grand example of refusing to perceive God's new thing. Even this comes with compassion. God says in the parable, I sent one servant, you killed him, you beat him up. I sent a second servant, you beat him up beyond recognition. I sent a third servant, my son, Jesus Christ, and you killed him. And so Jesus is giving another chance to those who are listening and who have missed the new thing of a savior. Won't you come? Won't you perceive a new thing? And then Paul. Well, Paul simply tells us the path. Here's the path forward. Here's the way to the new thing. These are our four scriptures today. And so I would just like for a moment through these four passages to highlight how God invites us into his new thing. And this is what he does. He does three things For note-takers, you'll love this. I'm going to talk about three things. Here we go. He invites us into joy for what he has already done. That's number one. 
God invites us into his joy for what he's already done. Number two, he invites us into the reality of what we need him to do now. Joy for what he's done, reality for what we need him to do now. And three, he invites us into his faith to press forward. Joy for what he's done, reality for what we need him to do, and faith. Another way to say that is to press into what he will do, his new thing. First is joy. Joy comes by recognizing that God did and does all things for us and that these things we cannot do for ourselves. This is really important. The psalm starts with, the Lord has done, it says, the Lord has done great things for us. There is a recognition that it is only God who has done great things for us. This is hugely important. You may say, well, we don't, you're wasting time, move on. No, no, not, not just yet. One of the stealers of joy is that we too often say, we have done great things for ourselves with a little help from God. Why aren't we more glad? You see, when we start to say that we've done things for ourselves with a little help from God, self-doubt begins to creep in to what's going on or what has been. Oh, if I've done that, did I do it the right way? If we did that, will God do anything for us? This is critical. It's critical. We start with that God has done great things for us. The Lord has done great things for us. The Lord has always done great things for his people. Always. That's what these passages tell us. Always. God has always rescued us. Always. God has always given us meaning and purpose for our lives. Always. God has always provided help and power when we've needed it. Always. God has always guaranteed that he will finish what he started. Always. These four things actually for us this Lent can simply be summed up in the cross. God rescues us. In resurrection, God gives us meaning and purpose. In his ascension, he provides help and power. And in the promise that he will come again to make all things right and ultimately new. He guarantees he, fi- he will finish what he started. We couldn't do any of these things by ourselves. And this has caused us to be glad. I kind of love the word in Psalm 126. The Lord has done great things for us. We're glad. It's an underused word, glad. It means we're content. That's part of Glad. It means that we're grateful. We're so grateful for what he's done. It means that we're joyful, like we're actually happy. The word laughter is used in Psalm 126. For those of you who are a little serious or taking yourself too seriously today, I don't want to look at anybody. I was looking right at you, Amy. Sorry. I don't think that's true about you. (laughs) And in this gladness... We are sure that God will do it again. We're sure that God will do it again. Tamara, uh, Kendra, and I went to church with a man whose name was Rex Doom Doom. Doom Doom spelled D-U-M-D-U-M. He was often called Rex Dum Dum. 
which is funny because Rex Doom Doom has three PhDs. I kid you not. The antithesis of Dum Dum is Rex Doom Doom. Rex Doom Doom is an immigrant from the Philippines. He stands about five foot, let's say five, I'm being generous. And um, he has a big, booming love of God and a voice to match. I mean, Rex Doom Doom not only is one of the smartest men that I know, he's also one of the gladdest men that I know. And when we were worshiping together at a church a couple of churches ago, actually several years ago for all of us, we would be worshiping and we would be praying and we would be asking God for a new thing, something that we needed done. We'd be crying out to God and you would hear Rex Doom Doom in our very kind of conservative Binghamton, New York church, where when people yelled out above everybody else, everybody got nervous. But Rex was this booming voice and love for God would yell out. And I'm not, I, I do a great Rex Doom Doom imitation. I'm not going to do it today because I don't want to, you know, offend Rex. But I do a great, outstanding imitation. He would yell out, do it again, God. Do it again. Really, the whole congregation. I, I often was leading worship when he would do that. We'd all do it again. Do it again. Do it again, God. Rex never yelled that out that I can recall when we were talking about something that God had already done. He would yell it out when we were asking for God to do something we needed done. But Rex knew something about gladness and joy. He knew that in it, God has done great things for us. And he also knew that in this gladness, we yell out, Do it again, God. Do it again. The Lord has done great things for us. We're glad. We're glad. And in the gladness, we yell out, do it again, God. I I so want to do my impression of Rex Doom Doom. I'm not going to do it. (laughs) Later, catch me in the parking lot. I'm great at it, okay? And lots of times when Rex was telling about his, um, his joy for God, just so you get the picture, I mean this, I'm going to show it to you. Five foot five, maybe. He would do this. <laughs> I love God. <laughs> I call it the Rex Doom. Let's all do the Rex Doom. Do- <laughs> I love God. What is thumbs up? Do it again, God. I'm going to have Rex come and preach sometimes so you can hear him, okay? <laughs> do it again, God. So God invites us. First and foremost, he invites us. He says, listen, in this new thing, I'm going to ask you to rejoice in what I've done. Sometimes we get stuck. And by we, I mean the people in this room, Church of the Apostles, okay? We're human. God doesn't despise that. But sometimes we get stuck on what God hasn't done. So the invitation this morning is to lay that down at the cross. And to be glad for what God has done. Which includes, do it again, God. So first, God invites us into the joy for what he has done. But he also invites us into a reality of what we need him to do again, I'll say. And this is what he invites the people in the Isaiah passage into. 
He doesn't doubt that they need another rescue. They are absolutely in need of rescue. The Babylonian exile is, I mean, it would be a whole other sermon to tell you how bad it is for them. I mean, there's just not even a, an, an entity. They have no identity. Families are torn apart. It's brutal. So we ask God. Reality is a dream. It's what the psalm says. When God did it the first time, we were like those who dreamed. They said, that's the song that we sing. But a dream in a new thing is not a fantasy. It's not a fantasy. It's not making something up. I wonder often why we, the people of God, are so prone to sentimentality and so far away from gladness. And as I was praying about what I was going to say on that line, the word that keeps coming up is fear. We're really scared. We get the status quo. In fact, we even kind of know what happens next in the old thing. God does this, this happens. But in the new thing, I don't know what's going to happen next. And there's a fear. Well, listen, in our parable today, the parable of the wicked tenants, which, by the way, we skipped ahead. This is after Jesus is in Jerusalem, after next week, after Palm Sunday. And it is one of the sermons that is going to get him killed. Just FYI. This, this sermon gets him killed. This is the one. And what he, what, well, here's what's happening in the parable. The tenants, the wicked tenants, are simply scared of the new thing that God is doing. They have this piece of property, they have this piece of land, and the owner of the property, the picture of God, he's far away. At the very least, he's far away, and probably the implication here in the parable is that he might even be dead. Like, he's gone. And so these tenants, they haven't paid any money for the property since they got it. They've not paid anything for it. Like, it's theirs. They've just been using it for free. Like, rent-free living. Rent-free farming. Woohoo! And so, all of a sudden, out of the blue, a servant comes for the owner of the property. Prophets, by the way. Isaiah. That would be an example. Come and say to the people, Hey! Hey! You guys. Pay up. <laughs> it's my land. I've come back to collect. They beat him up. God sends another prophet. They beat him up. And in fact, it progresses in the story. They beat him up beyond recognition. But God is so compassionate that he sends his son to collect the money. Here's what happens. The tenants then are like this. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe the owner is dead, but now his son has come to collect his inheritance. If we can kill the son... We can keep things the way they were. Rent-free living. The tenants in the parable are scared. They have fear. So much so that they lose their senses. Everybody hearing this story would go, what? They beat somebody up? They beat somebody up beyond recognition? They killed somebody? They, they're so scared. They're out of their minds. Like, this is, a, 
This is a wild overreaction by any standard, by the way. Nobody hearing the parable is like, oh, yeah, well, the guy should have been killed. I mean, everyone's just like, what? What did they do? They killed him? Yeah. It's a wild overreaction. Like, they're out of their minds with worry. My biggest sadness in all of that is because of this. Because of their fear, the tenants were so unable to dream and to enter in and perceive the new thing that God was doing. I'm sad that they killed Jesus. I am. But it's the choice that makes me so sad. They just missed it. The status quo, the sentiment, they chose that instead. I do want to say something to you. God is not sentimental at all. He is absolutely not. He is not confused about the good old days. He is not wondering about his new thing. He is a way maker. God is a way maker where there was no way. He is a new thing giver where the old things fail. His new thing is always better than what was. Always. And he invites us into the faith to press into that new thing. And this is the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3 just couldn't be any clearer. I'm going to go really quick now and then finish. Here we go. How do we enter then this new thing? Brian, what is it that we do? How is faith built? Because the truth of the matter is, you said that we're all kind of prone to sentimentality, and that scares me, but you said God doesn't despise our humanists, so now what? Well, Paul tells us. It's great. First of all, Paul clearly articulates that God has done something for us through the cross and resurrection, and I will extrapolate out in the book Ascension and a promise to come again that we cannot do for ourselves. He has done a new thing that is beautiful and right and good. And so Paul just, just in the book of Philippians, actually is calling everybody, don't be anxious. God has done a new, he's doing it in front of you. Here it is. A beautiful thing. And then he invites us to do a few things, and he just uses his own life. Like, first Paul gives us his resume. Have you ever had this happen to you? I go to conferences with pastors sometimes, and I say, hey, how are you? And the answer, and what I mean is, like, how's your spirit? Is God good? How's your family? You know what I get? Well, the church is fine. We did the, I get a resume. That's okay. That's what we do. I say, oh, that's nice. And how are you? <laughs> I could try to ask, you know. Well, Paul gives his resume, and it is a good resume. I am smart. And by the way, he's not being haughty. He's being honest. I'm educated. I'm smart. I've got, I've got all the degrees. I'm like Rex Doom Doom. I know how to argue for God. I'm zealous. I speak three languages. By the way, Paul's saying. I not only speak Greek, but I know Old Hebrew and I speak Aramaic. I have done good things for religion. I have built a life for myself. I have earned money. He's not being haughty. He's simply saying, look, I I have. That's all true about me. My pedigree and my education and my standing. I'm a a Roman citizen. I can go anywhere I want in the free world. And if anyone touches me, they get in trouble, not me. 
And then Paul says, I lay it all down. I give it all up. I don't even consider this anymore. It's like garbage, in fact. He's not saying that he wasn't glad for what God did, but he's saying, I put no hope in the old thing, none. I lay it down. And then he says something else. I lay it down and I pick up my cross. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, become like, becoming like him in his death. These two things, friends, today, if you hear nothing else, I want, in, this, in this season of Lent, I want to say something. You absolutely cannot pick up our cross. We can't pick up our cross while we're holding on to our pedigree. Our hands are already full. Can't pick up the cross if we're holding on to the past. We can't because our hands are already full. There is no taking up our cross and moving forward. If we're holding on to something else, can't happen. So when Paul says, that's all gone, but I pick up my cross, and then he says the verse that we probably, some of us might even have on our walls at home. Philippians 3.14, maybe you know it. I press on toward the goal, or the mark it may say, I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I move forward into the new thing. Pressing on toward the goal of Christ Jesus cannot be done without laying down our past and picking up our cross. I'm going to say it again. Moving toward the goal, the mark, the prize, some of your Bibles probably say, of Christ Jesus cannot be done lest we lay down the, thing, the other things that we're giving us hope and confidence and gladness and joy and picking up our cross in the power of resurrection and moving toward the ultimate goal. You can't do number three without numbers one and two. There's no biblical path for it, none. You can't pick up your cross if we can't do it. A person cannot do it. So why all this about a new thing today? I mean, you must know that I'm building towards something. I believe God has a new thing for us here at Church of the Apostles. <laughs> Come on now. I believe God has a new thing for us here at the Church, at Church of the Apostles. I want to tell you one other thing that is common through all four scriptures today. They are not written to singular people. They are written to the people of God. The people in Isaiah move together. The people singing Psalm 126 are probably ascending together to the temple and singing in a group. Even the gospel, there are wicked tenants. And Paul, all of these use our second person plural, y'all, press toward the mark. Do what I do. And so it is not a stretch for me to say, I believe God has a new thing coming for Church of the Apostles. Now, I have not made bold statements like that very often here. Because once I say that, then I have to step out in faith with y'all. 
My friend Frank often says that faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Faith is risky. I get it. I get it. I was going to give you my resume. <laughs> I'm not going to give you my resume. I'm not going to tell you about all the things we've done the last three years. I did that a couple. If you, if you didn't hear my uh, vision talk back in February, go back and listen to it. That, that's, that's what we've done <laughs> and what we're doing. Our property search team, we're making progress. I'm just telling you, we're making progress. I made a bold statement then that we're going to be somewhere new this year. We're making progress toward that goal. We've got, new, we've got new things happening for, for equipping. We've got new mission. Our missions team's working on that. I'm working with a diocese. We've got things going. I'm not going to give you the resume. I guess I just did. I'm not going to give you any more of the resume. That was like the cover letter. I'm not going to give you the resume. But in our moment of silence today, I wonder. I wonder if you would wonder with me for a couple of minutes in quiet. And first, I'm just going to ask you, I've said this before, I'm going to ask you that maybe in the first few moments of silence, you ask God to deliver you from the flying elbow disease. Hey, did you hear that? Hey, Jan, did you hear it? You got to believe a new thing that God's doing for us or for you. Nope. Could you get rid of that one, right? Like, and then I'm going to ask you to get rid of the other flying elbow. I don't know what that is, but it's really a bad, you know, the analogy breaks down. But I'm going to ask you also not to make this purely personal. There is a place for this to be purely personal and individual. There is. But I'm asking for that not to happen today. I'm asking you to consider yourselves as a part of Church of the Apostles today. The people of God who are in a place where we are glad about what God has done for us. Hasn't God done such great things for us? Aren't we glad You know what? When I say that we need to move to a new building, you know what? My heart is filled with gladness for the place we're worshiping right now. Do you know how rare it is for a church plant to be able to worship in the same place for 10 years, let alone on a Sunday morning? The Lord has done great things for us. We're glad. We've not been homeless. I'm glad. I'm glad about the mission that's been done here to this point even though we're thinking about what new may come. So many people have been introduced to the faith of Christ, to the gospel of Jesus, to the good news, through Church of the Apostles in Fairfield, Connecticut. I'm glad for that. Really, I I laugh about it sometimes. Man, God, you've done good things. So my first question is this today in our moments of silence. Are you glad? Where in our hearts today, as a group of people, do we need to rejoice in what God has already done? I assure you, the Lord has done great things for us. Where do we need to rejoice? Where's God inviting us to say, oh, this has been really good, God. And then, as we move through our moments... What's scaring you today about God's new thing? Let's just be honest. Where has sentimentality creeped in? Where has fear risen up? Where are those things? 
what would stop us from perceiving the new thing God has? Just ask. In our moments of silence, let's just ask God together. And what's the faith that we need? What's the increase in our faith? What's the, what's the faith it's going to take to step in risk, in faith to this new thing, to perceive it, to walk in it? What's it going to take? I'm just wondering for our two minutes today, without the flying elbow towards someone sitting next to you or someone across the room, right? Sometimes those elbows get really big. And without making it purely individualistic, but as a group of people, Could we ask those three questions together? We better take two minutes today. You bow your head and close your eyes. I'll watch the time. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, then we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams in the Negev. Allow those who sow in tears to reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, to come home with shouts of joy, bringing the harvest with them. We pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.